0: Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I want to get right into this message. Jesus is on the cross, and we read this from John chapter 19. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. There's a couple of key words to take note of here later knowing that everything had now been finished You want to keep that in mind as we consider the things that we're going to consider this morning This this is about some things being fulfilled. This is about some things being finished You have to understand that jesus lived his life differently than us. Okay boy. There's a shocker, right? Jesus lived his life differently. We kind of live by circumstance what we might even consider circumstantial living. What do I mean by that? I mean, certain, certain things happen in our world, circumstances. And sometimes when those circumstances happen, it, it, it causes us to do things. Sometimes we just kind of go into a tizzy. It, it throws us into an emotional crisis You know, we we just, the circumstances of life come along sometimes and throws us for a loop and we are caught, found, doing stuff like we would not normally do. We say things we, we wouldn't normally say. We might do something we wouldn't normally do. Or we don't do what we would normally do. I mean, circumstances can really mess with us sometimes. But when Jesus spoke, it was not an accident. It was intentional. Jesus meant what he said. In other words, there were no throwaway lines when it came to Jesus. Jesus didn't say something just for the sake of listening to himself speak. He didn't have a throw. nothing was garbage for him. It, it all meant something, it all was intentional. And a lot of what Jesus was saying as you read the Gospel accounts was messianic in nature. Jesus was on a mission and in addition to glorifying God and saving you and me, he was on a mission to fulfill messianic prophecy there were things that had been said you go all the way back to the psalms psalm 22 you know you read that and there's stuff in there that's predicting stuff about jesus you look at the book of isaiah you go to deuteronomy you go to exodus you go to leviticus you'll see that a lot of what jesus said is actually connected to the things that you read all the way back in the old testament and it's talking about this messiah to come and and it said things that when messiah showed up It would confirm to everybody, hey, I'm the one. Knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. If you look at the New King James Version, or the the King James Version, it says, I thirst. Verse 29, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk on the hyssop plant, of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So we're, we're looking at this word, or these words this morning, I'm thirsty, or if you take it from the King James, I thirst. What does he mean? What does he mean when he says, I thirst? Because... Here's something that we know about Jesus. Jesus doesn't just say things without a reason. There's always a purpose behind it. And, you know, looking at verse 28, knowing that everything is fulfilled and and knowing that Scripture would be fulfilled, he makes this one statement, I thirst. There has to be something behind that statement. We're trying to figure out what it is. You know, if you go to Exodus chapter 13, and you don't need to turn there, but if you were to go to Exodus 13... You begin to discover that there is this period in the life of the Israelites where they are in captivity to Egypt, and they are going to be led out of Egypt by Moses, and as they come out of slavery, they're complaining about not having enough to drink. What they actually said in Exodus 17 is this, why did you bring us out, up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of what? Thirst. Thirst. Why'd you bring us up out of Egypt just so we can die of thirst? Here's what they're saying. I'm thirsty. I thirst. And the Lord was leading the people through Moses to a place where they could drink the water that would come out of this rock. And and it's interesting that one of the phrases that we use over time to describe Jesus is the rock of ages, right? You go to the rock and water will come out of the rock. That's what God said. And the promise was made that day because the people complained, and and here's the question they asked, is God among us, or is he not among us? I mean, is God here, or is he not here? We've been looking for him, Is, is he here? I think it's possible that one of the things that Jesus was doing when he uttered the words, I thirst, because he was fulfilling messianic prophecy from the Old Testament, I think it's likely that Jesus is saying, you're wondering if I'm the one, I'm the one. Is this really the Christ or not? I thirst. See, and listen, you, you likely came to church today, and, and maybe you've got your Bible with you, or maybe you've got the You version on your on your phone, and you look it up on your phone, and, you know, instead of turning pages, we kind of click now, don't we? This, that's kind of how it is. So if somebody's on their phone, don't mess with them. They've got probably got a Bible on there, but um, either that or they're playing crossword puzzles or something, it, who knows. But, but we, you know, we've got Bibles. If you grew up in church, you've likely got more than one Bible. Some of us have three or four. If you're me, you got like 20 or 30. You know, I got Bibles everywhere. We got Bibles stashed away on shelves and on our, on our, on our coffee tables that are, you know, got to kind of blow the dust off of them. And oh, yeah, that's the Bible. Um, you know, we, we, we have Bibles, but I don't think we know them like they knew them in the Old Testament. Like in the Old Testament, if you were uh, you know a little boy or a little girl, you grew up. You heard your parents constantly quoting Scripture. They, they they grew up memorizing Scripture. You weren't allowed to leave your house in the morning until you said certain kinds of Scripture. It was written over the doorpost of your home. You would you would wear this thing on your wrist with a band. It had a little box on it. You would have one a little box that was attached to your forehead that had a band that came off of it and tied. That was called a phylactery, and there were little scriptures that were rolled up and put in this little box. There were scriptures, that they, the, the scriptures were, were constantly before the Israelite people. You had to memorize those scriptures. So when they heard Jesus, as soon as Jesus uttered a phrase, it was like they had a Rolodex, and that Rolodex would start spinning in their mind, and they, they would, they would kind of scan through until they came to the phrase, and they would say, oh, that's Exodus 17, So when Jesus says, I thirst, they start, the scan starts for them. And they hear more than just, I'm thirsty. That would have taken them all the way back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were complaining about being thirsty, and they had to go to the rock to get a drink of water. And here's the rock on the cross saying, I'm thirsty, in order to fill all Scripture. In other words, everything is now ready to be completed. Jesus says, I thirst. And he said it to let everybody know, if you're wondering if I'm Messiah or not, if you're wondering if I'm the one, here I am. It's no wonder then that later when Jesus died and the, and the, the curtain of the temple was, was rent in two, the centurion looked and said, surely this was the Son of God. Is this the one or not? Here I am, Jesus is saying. I thirst, I thirst. And you start thinking about that and then you look at a passage like Matthew 5 verse 6 where Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. The whole kingdom of heaven is about relationship with God and being in step with God and everything about being in step with God is about a life of righteousness. Now, I welcome the visitors earlier. This is one of the things I need you to understand. And I always do this when this word comes up, and you may have gone to church here for 20 years and heard me preach for the last 18 years and thought, man, he does this every time we see this word. I have to do this because I want people to know how to translate that word. When you see the word righteous, I want your brain to think right standing with God. Okay, you hear righteous and your brain kind of checks out like I don't know what that is but if you can see that and see right standing with God we have a right standing with God now let me come behind that for a minute because we are not righteous because of what we do okay we're righteous because of what has been done for us we have a right standing with God not because we're good but because Jesus is perfect and was perfect and was the perfect sacrifice on the cross. So my inner thirst, my hunger, my appetite is satisfied when I enter into a relationship with Jesus. Jesus thirsts so I can be satisfied. And it's here is the, 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 the thing that we've got to figure out this morning, that we've, we've got to figure out when we thirst, when we hunger, where are we going to get that filled? See, people are hungry and thirsting for a lot of things that they think they want and they're filling their life with a lot of things that really is not filling them up. You probably know somebody, even as I say those words, you probably know somebody that would be described that way. They're hungry, they're thirsty, and they're putting all this stuff in their life, but they're not full. It's not working. Because my right standing with God doesn't come from who I am or what I've accomplished and what I do, it, my, my right standing with God does not come from what I do I do what I do I am who I am because I'm in him and I'm benefiting from what he's already done for me this is a 180 philosophy to all the rest of the religions in the world if you're wondering what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world I'm about to tell you what it is and it's really simple it's how and where and what direction you pray in every other world religion it's how and where and in what direction you're praying it's whether or not you've kept this list of rules well. It's whether or not you've, you've, they've got all these laws, and if you've kept all the laws and can check all the boxes, then you're religious. That's not Christianity. It's about showing up at some building and praying with some priest or, or praying with some, you know, some Buddhist uh, priest or walking into a temple and, and spending time in the temple, and that's what makes you holy. That's what makes you religious. That is not Christianity. See... What separates Christianity from every other world religion, every other world religion, it's what you do, but in Christianity, it's separated by two letters, N-E. It's what's been done for you. You and I are not righteous because we've done anything. We, we We don't have a right standing with God because we've checked all the boxes. We have a right standing with God because Jesus checked all the right boxes. And Romans says... We've been given the gift of righteousness. We have been given a right standing with God, not because we've done anything, but because Jesus has done everything we needed him to do. Now I'll just ask you a question. Have you ever been thirsty? Of course you have. I'll tell you about a time when when my thirst was probably at its height. I was uh, in high school. I played tennis in high school. Um, And a very fortunate thing happened to me as I grew up. In my backyard in the little town I lived in, the city decided that they were gonna put a tennis court that there was a city park that butted up against our backyard. I mean, I literally could look out my window and see it. And then one fine, glorious day, we got the news that the city was gonna put a tennis court in that little city park. And guess where they put it? Right in the corner that cornered up to our backyard. I mean I literally could walk to this tennis court easier than I could walk to the other side of our building, all right? I could look out my window and see the tennis court. Now, if you're a tennis player in high school and they're going to put a tennis court in your backyard, you're like, all right, let's go, let's do that. So, school's getting ready to start. It's, you know, it's early August. I know season's about to start. My doubles partner and I decided we need to practice, so we're going to get together um, just before school starts you know the last few days you've got and we take a, a morning and we get there about eight o'clock we're going to play tennis and just practice 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 because we were dedicated and you know when the sun first comes up in the morning it's not too bad there's cool in the morning it's kind of cool that but then you, we're, and we were going to play more than just two or three sets we were going to be there a while and it's one of those things where you just start playing and you just nobody else showed up to take the court from us so we just we just kept playing Play tennis, play tennis, play tennis, sweat, sweat, sweat. You know, you're getting depleted, but you're having so much fun and you're, you're so lost in what you're doing. You don't really think about this thing that's happening where your body's being depleted and you need to replenish that. So we finally get done and we're, and I'm making the walk back to the house and I start thinking to myself, man, I am really thirsty. Like, you know, we, we say that statement, I'm dying of thirst. Well, I probably wasn't dying of thirst, but I was really thirsty. I came into the house, mom was at work, everybody was gone, the house was empty, I walk into the house, I get into our refrigerator, and my mom kept in our refrigerator, guys, do you remember the old glass Gatorade jars? Who remembers the old glass Gatorade jars? Yeah, see, plastic, pff, I don't need plastic, but we had glass Gatorade jars, and it was like this magical moment when mom would once in a while bring home actual Gatorade, that, I mean, that was like a huge treat for me, like, Gatorade. But I drank all the Gatorade, so she said, you know, the jar's pretty good. I'll keep the jar. We'll keep water in that. I'll put that in the refrigerator. So I get in. I grab this jar, this Gatorade jar. It's got this crystal clear, beautiful water in it. I take it out. It feels so cool, nice and cold. Set it on the counter. I turn around to get a cup out of the cupboard, and when I turn back around, I mean, it's like angels were singing, right? You know, like the sun is shining down. It's just like the Shekinah glory of God. It's like, oh, look at that water. That is gorgeous. And the condensation is running down on the outside. Are you thirsty yet? Right? Like you're all (laughs) going. That was the best drink of water I think I've ever had in my life. When Jesus says, I thirst, I have to wonder if it isn't about something other than physical thirst. I mean, think about when we're told in Matthew 4, Jesus is led to the wilderness for 40 days of fasting, and he's going to encounter the devil there, and he's going to be tempted. And it, it says that Jesus went without food. I don't know whether he went without water or not. I can't imagine he would go that long without water. If he had any, it was probably minimal. The point I'm trying to make is, Jesus was not unfamiliar with lack, Jesus was, this wasn't, wouldn't have been the first time that Jesus has been deprived. Now certainly, Jesus is experiencing some thirst, right? Certainly, there's something going on where Jesus, I mean, because he's been sleep deprived, he's been deprived of food, he probably has not had much water leading up to the cross, he's been horribly treated. So was he thirsty? Yes, I believe he was thirsty. Was there more going on than just Jesus being thirsty? Yes, I believe there's more going on than just Jesus being thirsty. Here's what we've got to figure out this morning. We have to figure out how to live a life that finds us living in this sacred space where we actually live with a well that is bubbling up from within us. That joy and that peace that bubbles up from within that helps us to get to the things that God wants for us. I think there's more going on when Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Actual need, yes, but there's more. You know, we hunger and thirst for a lot of things. You you may be in a marriage and you've got an idea of what you want your marriage to be, but it doesn't quite look like that. And you're hungry or thirsty for something better than what you're seeing. I get that. You, you may, there may be something at work where you have a vision of what work could look like and you're hungry or thirsty for that. I get that. There may be something from your past and you think, you know, I wish I could return to that. And I think a lot of times God would like for us to return to the way things were sometimes in our spiritual walk or whatever. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But it, but it has to come down to a place where it isn't just about me and me being satisfied. You see, m- mature Christianity is that point where we transition from Everything is about me to where we get to the point where we're giving life to other people and we're able to offer other people a drink. I wonder if part of what's going on here is a call for us to get to the place where we are responding to and meeting the needs of others because as Jesus hung on the cross, he was meeting our need. I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture. I'm going to read a bunch of verses at one time. I do not normally do this On a Sunday morning but I'm gonna I'm gonna take a pretty large section of Scripture so I need you to stay with me okay we'll try to do it quickly and I'll try to make it interesting Um, but this is gonna be kind of a marathon reading right here and I'm actually gonna do a message on this passage we're about to look at on the 22nd of April we're gonna look at this passage in depth Um, that's gonna be a really good day I'm looking forward to that but this is John chapter 4 26 verses can you stay with me 26 verses if I hurry Okay here we go. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's in the southern part of Israel that's Judea and he's going to go to the northern part which is Galilee. What you have in the middle is this place called Samaria. So he's got to go from Judea Through Samaria to Galilee no Jew wanted to go through Samaria you know it's like the bad part of town you just don't want to go through it that's where that's what they were going to do now he had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey so Jesus is tired sat down by the well it was about noon Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what he's talking about there is this picture of mature, of a mature Christianity that's happening, okay? We're going from need, I need, to feed. We're going from feeding myself to a place where there's much more, so much more in me that I begin to feed other people, okay? It's about maturity. It's about growth. It's about getting better. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. See, if it's water that's going to cause me to never thirst again, I want water like that. Give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. And I expect right here there was a long pause. I think at that moment, there would have been this long silence. Jesus says, go get your husband. Pause. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you've just said is quite true. Now she knows there's something different about this guy. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. On the 22nd, we're gonna deal with that passage of scripture and it's gonna, you're gonna shed some light on that. Verse 21, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and now has, has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. I, the one speaking to you, am he. You know, Jesus did not reveal himself like this to people very often. It's very seldom that you see him get this bold with his declaration like that, but in this case, he does. I think it's possible that the real thirst of Jesus is that we would receive his life and that we would become life-giving people. I think the thirst of Jesus is that we would learn to give life to others. You know, there's a progression for us as we grow up. We mature, and hopefully we grow as McChristians, as, as, did I just say McChristians? Hopefully we grow, my stomach's growling, I'm hungry. Hopefully we grow to be something other than McChristians, but that we grow to be, Mature, that's where it's coming from. Mature Christians, you know, mature Christians, McChristians, crazy. Let me just pause for editing right there, okay? Sadly, some of us never grow beyond that. Sadly, we never get beyond an immature faith and an immature Christianity. I, I, I gave my life to Jesus when I was 10 years old, um, I matured late in my life in a lot of areas, especially physically, you've heard me talk about that, but when it came to spiritual things, I always got that stuff, and even as a 10-year-old, I mean, you know, how much, how much sin can a 10-year-old stack up, you know, where you come up to Jesus and you're like, oh, I need to repent, you know, since not a whole lot a 10-year-old has done, but I, I did understand my need for Jesus. I understood that Jesus died on a cross for my sins, and I understood that that required something of me and I understood what a huge deal it was for me to stand in front of these people and tell them I'm gonna live for Jesus for the rest of my life I got all of that very very clearly and so on a cold February day I marched that little ten-year-old body up the aisle to trust and obey who remembers that old song trust and obey and there the great preacher Wally Rendell and I'm not making that up this man was is a legend okay was my preacher as a ten-year-old Wally Rendell took my confession of faith put me in a baptistry and baptized me on that day and but on that day I'm still a ten-year-old kid with ten-year-old wants I do not understand maturity I want what I want junior high school senior high school comes along and I've grown a little bit but I still want what I want it's still a pretty immature faith I have a great youth pastor. He starts teaching me some things. I'm going to a great church. My pastor is a wonderful, wonderful man, taught me amazing things. He matured me. I was getting there. Then I decided to go into ministry. They send me off to Bible college, and I start to grow a little more. And then I got into ministry, and that's when I really got some good role models, some people to, to Model for me what it looks like to do ministry, to lay your life down every single day, to pour yourself out, to just give of yourself and give of yourself. I learned what it was to to, to just be a pastor and to give yourself away. I learned that living for Christ is pouring yourself out in service to others. It's about giving yourself away. It's about trying to give life-giving faith to other people. It's not about me always needing to get something. It's not about me getting my thirst quenched all the time. Now it's about maintaining a well within that bubbles up and allows me to give to other people and to make sure that they aren't thirsty anymore. I want to be a life-giving person. I want to be a mature believer in Jesus. See, Jesus is on a cross, And, and you might even say he's stuck You might even say he's captive on the cross. And when he says, I thirst, it isn't about what we can all do for him. He's trying to get us to look deeper at that place where we can get to where everything is about pouring yourself out to others. Back to this story of the woman at the well. There are a couple of things going on there. This this woman's need is one of them. You see that in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? So she needs water, but then Jesus looks at her and says, hey, would you give me a drink? So there's what Jesus needed, but there's also what this woman needed. Then you look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, here we're talking about the seed, the seed. In Colossians 1 and again in Galatians 3, Paul talks about how Jesus is the seed for salvation, how he is the firstborn among the dead, and through Jesus we can now have life. We're talking about the seed that can germinate inside me and you, and it grows up, and we don't walk around anymore saying, hey, what can I get, and feed me, feed me, feed me, but now it's about what can I give to you? How can I feed you? How can I meet your needs? So there's seed in this story and then toward the end you've got the feed. Jesus stops and rests and along comes this woman. They they, they have some dialogue and the disciples have gone into town, okay? They've gone into town to get some food and then look at verse 31. (laughs) They go into town to get food. Jesus is there and this woman shows up and then, then the guys come back meanwhile his disciples urged him they come back with food and they say rabbi eat something but he said to them i have food that you know nothing about and they're looking around like what what he, is there a burger joint around here i mean where did he go where did he where did he get food i mean it's kind of funny when you think about it they're looking at each other they're confused they can't figure out where how has he gotten food then the disciples said to each other could someone have brought him food Now, Jesus is tired. The Bible says it's noon, so the sun is high and the sun, it's hot. He's been traveling, he's been walking. And now Jesus has sent his disciples off to get some food. He is finally going to get a minute's peace. Can you imagine being Jesus? He's hanging out with these 12 guys that don't get at all what he's doing. He never has a moment to himself, and finally he gets rid of them. And they've gone in to get food, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Just, just give me a little shade, a place to rest just for a minute. And here comes a woman. And now he's not alone anymore. And now she's got a need. And Jesus begins to give himself away like he always did. And the disciples come back with food, and Jesus says, I've already eaten. And they're like, man, what in the world? What are you talk- They can't figure it out. Has somebody slipped him a burger? I mean, what's going on? Jesus said, no, no, my food is to do the will of my Father who sent me. Now, in your head, you get this. Jesus is hungry, and yet his appetite is satisfied by doing the will of God. See, it's it's not a secret to us that, that through grief or through stress or through fatigue, there are times that we get so stressed out or so fatigued, we don't really need to eat anymore, right? Like, you just, you lose your appetite. You ever said that? I've just, you know, if you've gone through a loss, if you've lost a loved one, sometimes you might say, you know, I just don't have an appetite. I'm just not hungry. But that can also happen in reverse. Like you you can get so involved in something, like when I was playing tennis, you know, I got so involved in it, I realized I haven't eaten. But that can also happen when you're doing spiritual things. It can happen when you're doing ministry. You can get so involved in doing ministry and doing spiritual things that you look up and you realize, wait a minute, I haven't eaten anything, I haven't drank anything but I just feel full. I mean, what, what's up with that? I mean, and you're satisfied. There's something spiritually that can affect the physical realm. So we have need, we have seed, and we got feed. The disciples come back with the food, and Jesus is like, look, man, it's all done. <laughs> We're done. You missed it. It's over. And the disciples can't figure out what's going on. Need, seed, and feed. Here's what you got to understand. Need, need requires love need always requires love jesus always saw the need because of his love you you go back and you start reading through the whole three years of jesus ministry and you see this over and over again you will see him pouring himself out stopping over and over again to meet a need why because he loved people jesus would have an agenda he would have something he needed to do someplace he needed to get to Something that he, he was on a mission. He was always on a mission. But then he would be on his way to do something. You see this over and over in the scriptures. He would be on his way to do something, but then something would interrupt him and he would need to fix something or someone. Ministry-related stuff would come up. And on the way, he would be disrupted by the need. A better way to say it is, he would be disrupted by love. He was disrupted by love. Jesus loved people. And because he loved people, it caused him to take time out to meet the needs of the people around him. Just one side note to any of you that ever plan on going into ministry of any kind, if you ever plan to go into ministry, just let me caution you that you are, if you're going to be in ministry, understand that it will require of you to stop what you're doing. It happens for me often I you know I've got stuff that I've got to get done I can look at a week and think man I've got so much stuff to do this week there's certain days I'll go in and I'll say Cheryl protect me today okay I I can't talk to anybody I've got to get this stuff done and you know what Jesus says forget that I'm going to use you today that agenda you've got right here guess what this person needs you more than that agenda needs you You're going to come over here and you're going to pour yourself out on this. I can't tell you how many times that happens in my life. But you know what? Need requires love. When you see the need, if love is in your heart, you meet that need. And if you're going to go into ministry, that's what ministry of any kind, not what I'm doing, but these volunteers back here, the volunteers in our building, they know what I'm talking about. Because when you love people, when you see need, and there's something that needs to be done, you're going to step in and do it. That's just what ministry is. And Jesus was like, okay, I see it. I'm going to fix it because I love its need. A life for Christ is always lived in constant interruption. It just is. What, it's, it's not what can you do for me. It's what can I do for you. It's going from being the kind of person. There are two kinds of people that walk into a room. People who walk in and say, here I am. Look at me. And people who walk in a room and say there you are there you are i want to be a there you are kind of person what can i do for you need requires love it's all about love when my son bennett was little he was a good little shaver he he just had such a good heart and he would have toys and he would have you know candy and he would have money once in a while he'd save a few coins and put them together and he had just such a big heart for people he was you know we had to go to him sometimes he wanted to share his toys and sometimes he just wanted to give his toys away and i'm like no buddy don't i mean you know you can't be giving your toys away but dad they like it they like it you know and he thought if they liked it well maybe he thought dad will buy me another one i don't know what he was thinking i'm like no don't give it away he's constantly i mean one time he had a little bit of money saved and he there was some need that he'd seen and he came to me like, Dad, I'm gonna, I wanna, I'm giving my money. I'm like, no, well, hold on, son. You know, the preacher trying to correct his son is doing a Jesus thing. Like, well, let's don't get too spiritual. <laughs> well, hold on a minute. See, love, love sees need. Need requires love. He got that at an early age. There's a tremendous amount of need in our world. A tremendous amount. I mean, turn on the news. You, you see there's a tremendous amount of need in the world. You know what's needed to meet that need? The one thing nobody's talking about? Love. Love. Following Jesus is not hard to understand. Following Jesus doesn't require great education. Following Jesus does not require that you be deep. Can we just be clear? Following Jesus does not require you to be deep. Following Jesus is really, really simple but it's the most difficult thing I've ever tried to do in my life because following Jesus is all about showing love and that's hard because that's going to interrupt who I am. That's going to interrupt what I'm about and what I'm doing and that's going to interrupt my agenda and we don't like to have our agendas interrupted. And you know, before we talk too much about how much else can I learn, how about we just start trying to figure out how to love one another? That's what our world needs. We're, We're still trying to 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 get, and we're we're not interested in giving. Love sees need. See, if you can see it, you can't if you can't see it, you can't do anything about it. But if you're mature, if you become a person who says, what can I give? Not what can I get? You see it because of love. It's love that causes us to see need. I I must hurry. Some of you get this. Some of you blow me away with your generosity. I hear stories about stuff you've done, and I just want to you know, like cheer for you and clap for you, it's like, yes, you know, they, they, they get it. It's not about them. It's not about what they can get. They're constantly trying to, some of you are constantly trying to give yourself away, and I applaud you for it. That's Jesus in you, and that's what we're talking about. So the need requires love. What about the seed? Seed requires hope. Seed is that thing you put in the ground, and, and you hope that the elements do not destroy it, but that the elements enable it to germinate and grow up into something how many of you if you've got small kids this happened in your house they come home from school they got this little white styrofoam cup you're all shaking your head like yep i've been there and it's got some dirt in it and they've slapped a seed down in that dirt right and they come home all hopeful some of those cups are pitiful when they come home aren't they they've been in backpacks and everything else And you think, if anything grows out of that cup, it will be a miracle of God if anything grows out. But you you do, you put it up on the windowsill, and what happens? Every two or three hours, that little boy's coming over, and he's looking in that cup to see if anything's in there. Is it growing yet? Is it growing yet? And you say, no, buddy, it's going to take a while. The next day, he's looking every couple hours. Is it growing yet? By day two or three, and he's looked in there a bunch, what's he thinking? Nothing going to grow in there. And you say, just be patient. It'll grow five days come six days come seven days come is it ever you start wondering is it you start thinking maybe the backpack has killed it right but sure enough on that seventh or eighth day all of a sudden there's that little green shoot coming up out of the dirt and you're like oh there it is and they come and see it and this big smile comes on their face see seed requires hope Hope is what is required for things that aren't seen. That's what Hebrews says, hope is required for things that aren't seen. Seed is always the potential for what can be. So so we see need because of love, but hope says there's a better day. Hope says we can change this. Hope says we can be a part of God's plan and we can change things. You know, there's always two sides to need, no matter who you are. You have to think about need from two different perspectives. What side of need are you on? Are you needy or are you needed? Am I a needy person, which means you've got to fix me, you've got to take care of me, you've got to feed me, or am I a needed person, which means I'm always called upon? It's it's only as love takes the central place in our hearts that we shift from being needy to being needed. It's as we grow as believers, we mature. Only then can we begin to see that the seed requires hope, and it is hope that brings life. It is hope that brings potential. Now there can be something bigger. Now there can be something better. You have to live your life full of hope. Some of you, quite honestly, need to turn your televisions off. Turn them off. Stop watching the news. The news has got you so scared. I've got family members. I just spent vacation with family members who cannot stop watching cnn and fox news and they're worked up they're not getting any sleep they can't have a normal conversation because they're so worried about what they see turn that mess off seed requires hope hope says it can work hope says jesus is on your side the seed requires hope what about feed the whole story is about need seed and feed need requires love seed requires hope feed requires faith and it's the difference between me having my needs met and moving to a place where i'm needed and hope now allows me to see the potential in all other people and then we move to faith it was james that said faith without action is dead faith without action is dead Faith says, let's move this into action. Let's step it up. As we grow in Jesus, we ought to be getting further and further away from, hey, what do I need? And getting closer and closer to, what do you need? John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. Faith moves us to action. Faith says, not only can I see the possibility, I can be a part of the reality. Faith gets involved. Faith gets its fingers dirty. Faith does the work. Need requires love. Seed requires hope. Faith requires, or feed requires faith. It's about moving from being someone who says, I'm needy, to someone who says, I'm needed. Who are you? Who are you? Are you growing? Are you moving in that direction? Let me just say one thing to the person that's in the room that's never given your life to Jesus. You may be wandering in your life. You may be shiftless. You may not really have The kind of direction you want, trust me, when you give your life to Christ, there will be direction in your life. And he will call you to things, and he will place in you a love that sees the need. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like it when you're doing it. And I would encourage you to give your life to him and let him take over. Let's pray together, we'll be dismissed. Father, we want so badly to be people who grow from an immature faith to a mature faith. From a faith that says, here I am, to a faith that says, there you are. The kind of faith that says not, does not say, I need, but the kind of faith that says, I'm needed. We can only get there with you. And so we ask for your help. Would you walk with us this week as we endeavor to serve and endeavor to be the best version of us we can be for your sake and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.